The first one I'll be reviewing for you guys is a double feature of The Gruesome Twosome and A Taste of Blood, both by uh, Herschel Gordon-Lewis. You guys know how I feel about Herschel Gordon-Lewis. I've seen Blood Feast and Scum of the Earth, and I'm not the biggest fan of Herschel Gordon-Lewis. Saying that, I put these in, and I was a little excited. You know, he's a master of horror. Everybody, you know, respects him, and I respect him as well. I understand what he's done for the horror genre, what he's done for the splatter film, and uh, he was innovative as hell. Uh, let me say this now. A Gruesome Twosome, this is the first one I watched it was 67 this is objectively a bad movie like if somebody's like i really like it <laughs> usually movies to me are subjectively like it's good or it's bad i'm like gruesome twosome's bad to me it's objectively bad like the person uh somebody walked in when i was watching it like this is bad man um First of all, it's like a 50-minute movie that has like 20 minutes pad time. It's super boring. The print looks really rough, but I understand that 67 low-budget movie. That's perfectly fine. Uh, we follow this uh, woman who is overacting and probably the best part of the movie, and her uh, deformed, kind of mentally handicapped son. They run a wig shop. They basically use real human hair. Uh, maybe it was a precursor to Maniac. I don't know. But the concept there is actually fun to a pair, you know, the gruesome twosome, a mother and a son killer. Um, they're basically kill pretty girls and take their hair. There's some really awkward, bizarre moments where, like, all the people are hanging out eating a K Kentucky Fried Chicken, and through the commentary, you learn that they basically paid for the catering in the movie, which is hilarious. There's a girl dancing with the chicken. Ah, best part, one of the best parts of the movie. There is a 10-minute scene in the opening where these two mannequin heads talk that he basically, uh, Gordon Lewis talks about, this is pad time, because we did not have enough for a 71-minute movie. Uh, there is a 10-minute scene where a guy takes a a uh, leg, a bone, it appears, and walks and buries in a garden and someone watches him. It's 10 minutes. It's boring. It's horrible. Most of the acting is dreadful. It's painful. Uh, it's drug out. Everything's drug out. It's super boring. It's super sloppy. And uh, what I want to say is, it's, I hate saying this, but it, it, Herschel Gordon Lewis made an art out of making a movie and getting it done on the lowest budgets possible. But there is no, it, it just because there's an art in making a super low budget movie and completing it doesn't mean that it makes art. And he wasn't in it for the art, I don't think, especially for the gruesome twosome. He was in it to make money. He was in it to complete the movie. And he was super inventive, innovative and he was uh, progressive in his cinema that he pushed boundaries and stuff. But it, it doesn't mean it's good. And I'm sorry to say that. It doesn't mean it's good. He opened the door and somebody came in who had talent and did it better than him. I, for a gruesome twosome, at least. The gore in here actually is fairly good. There's a couple nasty moments with a scalping and one with somebody's eye that gets gouged out. Looks really gross, uh, to be honest. Uh, and it's funny, the scalping, uh, they get the whole thing off on the head. And then it's like five minutes of footage of it just like the bottom still getting cut off. It's like, it took 10 seconds to cut the whole head off, but you're going to spend five minutes cutting the bottom off. It's just, it's such an obvious like pad, pad time. And, uh, I like the commentary. I like the features on here, uh, with re interviews and stuff with other filmmakers that love Herschel Gordon Lewis's work and they, how they talk about how he inspired them. And the commentaries are always great. This is an old commentary. He talks about, you know, how he did it and how, how the film industry was there. I enjoy it. He's a smart guy. He's like, uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis is like a mixer of like highly intelligent, but also like people have been telling him he's like the greatest director ever for so long. And he passed away now, but in the it seems like in these commentaries that like he comes in and like at points he's like making funny Keanu Reeves and everything like that. And you're just like, he's got to use real actors, not like people like Keanu Reeves. You're like, what are you talking about? Keanu Reeves is better than any of these actors. Uh, besides, uh, who is the one guy who pops up at a taste of blood? I won't say, but uh, it, it's just so weird, so bizarre. 
And uh, I just can't recommend Gruesome Twosome. Uh, the Taste of Blood, on the other hand, is much better. And it runs about two hours, which is super long for a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. This is a Dracula story. Uh, actually, a really fun concept. This uh, guy, he appears to be an ancestor of Count Dracula. He gets this wine in the mail, and uh, he drinks it, and he actually drinks Dracula's blood. He becomes a vampire, and he gets this list of people that killed Dracula, and he has to pick them off. Uh, while, you know, his fiance is catching on to him, and uh, the ancestor of Van Helsing knows something's up, so he comes into the picture. Uh, one of the actors in here is uh, he reminds me of like uh, the love child of Ronald Reagan and Ben Johnson, and uh, he's actually a pretty good actor. He's he's better than uh, the the Herschel Gordon Lewis movie would suggest. And the guy who plays the vampire is not bad either. The acting is much better in this one. Uh, the shots are better. The editing's better. Everything about this one is better. It is nearly two hours long. And in the commentary, again, Herschel Gordon Lewis is talking about you know movies nowadays have so much padding. They're just too long and they're two hours long. And it's like we're talking about a Dracula movie here that's low budget, that's two hours long, and you know. I won't pick on that one because it, maybe it needed to be two hours long. This one doesn't seem to drag. It does drag, but not as bad as Gruesome Twosome, which is 71 minutes long, and it drags like hell. And he's talking about pad time for a two-hour movie. Trim this. It's like, that movie needed to be trimmed it, <laughs> badly. Do not like Gruesome Twosome. It's horrible. Uh, but as a taste of blood, like I said, the acting's better, the story's better, uh, everything about it is just a step up, which is kind of strange. It's almost like, is this from the same guy? Uh, it's not really that gory. Some of the acting's really shaky, of course, uh, but... I, I kind of enjoyed this one, uh, and uh, it gave me a little better side to Herschel Gordon Lewis. I am excited to watch stuff like Wizard of Gore and Color Me Blood Red 2000 Maniacs because those seem like I will actually enjoy them, and the Gore Gore Girls, those ones, and eventually I'm going to see them. Uh, but uh, so far, Herschel Gordon Lewis, uh, not really into his movies. I've seen four so far, and uh, I'm going to keep watching all his movies, and uh, I respect the hell out of him for what he did for the genre and for what he did for film. But I don't like his films. Uh, this release, I said, a lot of the prints are beat up. Taste of Blood looks much better. Gruesome Twosome looks like it's been through hell. We got the green lines and everything. But uh, it's Arrow, so usually if Arrow says it's the best they did, I'm going to believe them because I've never really been disappointed with Arrow. Uh, maybe with their like Tenenbra original release, I didn't think looked very good. But since then, I've been impressed with almost everything they've done. Uh the special features on here, they have interviews with a couple filmmakers. Uh, they talk about me, uh, you know, how he inspired them. I really liked hearing those. Uh, the commentaries are great. David Freeman actually walks in during one of them. Uh, it's a nice release uh, of a movies that I don't particularly care for. The only reason for my appearance is to suggest that if you're the least bit squeamish, well, you cover your eyes or turn around in your seat for the next 90 seconds. The same writer and the same director who brought you Blood Feast, which is already a classic of horror and shown at many film festivals, have produced a new film which reaches the heights of nightmarish horror, never before even attempted on screen. So please, if you're revolted by the sight of blood, close your eyes for the next 90 seconds. Thank you. Hello, I'm Mrs. Pingo. I want you to meet my son, Rodney. Now, Rodney's not an ordinary youngster that hangs out on street corners. No, indeed, Rodney's a good boy. And this is a little business I have here. I make wigs for the beautiful young girls at the college. These wigs are made of human hair. And you know how human hair is, I mean, after all. And no, I couldn't really be in business without Rodney's help. He's such a comfort. And Rodney helps. 
Well, you might say he helps cut the overhead, if you know what I mean. Is it Rodney Precious? And smart, too. Why, I'll bet you can guess what he's doing. Right off the top of your head, as they say. You know, for some reason, people call us the gruesome twosome. I can't imagine why. It takes all kinds, I suppose. That's the name of our picture, the gruesome twosome. And I really don't know how to describe it to you. It's sort of a comedy, because Rodney has such a divine sense of humor. But then it has its dramatic moments, too. I suggest you see this picture from the very beginning. That way you'll know where to laugh. I believe that's all, sir. A rare experience in terror awaits you. A descendant of the dreaded Count Dracula comes to life. And a hideous orgy of murder and blood begins. A taste of blood. The next one here, I can't believe I'm going in this streak here, is from MVD. It is Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. You know what? Uh, as a kid, I loved the cartoon of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. As an adult, I never could even make it through the original Attack of the Killer Tomatoes until now. And I never liked Return of the Killer Tomatoes. I just never cared for the movies. Never saw Killer Tomatoes Strike Back. Never saw Killer Tomatoes Eat France. But I put in Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I know this movie is vastly important as well. It was satirical. It was purposely. It was done bad on purpose. It predates Airplane with the spoof stuff. Uh, and all that. And it does so much unique stuff. I just don't like it. I don't think it's funny. It's uh, bothering. It's vastly annoying. It's just too damn stupid. And I like stupid. But uh, I don't really like movies that are bad on purpose. I like movies that are spoofy, uh, like Airplane, because the jokes are clever and it has uh, brilliant actors in it. But uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, for me, it just doesn't really work. It's just not funny. And uh, I understand it. it's vastly important. Mars Attacks lifted the freaking ending from the movie. And uh, I respect that they went out and made a movie. I respect that they made this on a budget. I respect that they you know, were pr fairly ambitious for how cheap the movie was. But, again, I don't like it. It looks damn good. It sounds good in this release. And slew of features on here, commentaries, interviews, all the stuff ported over from the old release, I believe. So it's a nice release, and the guys seem pretty funny on the disc, the filmmakers. It's just not something I particularly like. I loved the cartoon show as a kid, but that's all I can say about The Killer Tomatoes. Um it's just so stupid and so cheap and it's spoofing like the you know the 50s atomic monster movies and i get that it's just that uh the jokes are so broad and they're not witty and they're just too stupid and ridiculous um the acting's pretty bad but uh it's purposely done bad there's a couple familiar faces on here the dad from chud 2 is in this uh he was on a television show as well i can't remember it's funny i know him from chud 2 can't think of the big television show he's in there uh he almost died in a plane crash in the movie which is crazy to think that there was a plane crash while making attack of the killer tomatoes that would suck to have died on this movie or any movie but attack of the killer tomatoes what'd you do i died doing what i love acting and what attack of the killer tomatoes what but, uh, yeah, the music's uh, vastly memorable. It's just uh, a movie that I know is important, again, like Herschel Gordon-Lewis, but it's not for me. And uh, I know a lot of people enjoy it. Like I said, it's loaded with features. I love uh, what it ended up doing in time, and I love the stuff on the disc, but uh, I'm really not a big fan of the movie itself. Uh, 
and uh, the sequels either. But uh, that's Attack of the Killer Tomatoes MVD Rewind Collection. This is part. This is the second one, and uh, I like what they're doing. They released uh, the DOA, and they're going to do Return to Swamp Thing. They're going to do some other ones, uh, Black Eagle. So I'm excited for what they have in store. Uh, and uh, they're doing great work thus far. It's just uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is not my bag. Across this great nation, almost everyone has been affected in one way or another by this terrible tomato onslaught. Mrs. Williams, I understand your husband is missing. Yes, Do you he think is. he's dead? Well, I, I Will can't. you miss him? Well, Will you marry again? <laughs> what if he's laying in a ditch somewhere, like, with both his legs <laughs> calling your name? You will have to find another man, you know. You're no spring chicken. Lives are, are shattered. The nation is in chaos. Death and destruction sweeps the country. Foursquare Productions presents perhaps the funniest film ever made. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Attack, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. You've never seen a film like it. This is the incredible story of the world's ultimate disaster. The next one here is from VCI. This is The Aftermath by uh, Steve, ba uh, Steve Barquette. Yeah, he uh, is starring it and the director in it. This actually made the Section 3 Video Nasties list. Uh, it also has Sid Haig in it. This is a post-apocalyptic movie. And uh, this is actually a pretty cool movie, to be honest. I had never seen it. Uh, I had the DVD. And uh, what we have here is post-apocalyptic world. Uh, this astronauts, a couple astronauts crash land on Earth after the... Uh, you know, end of the world happen, and uh, Steve Barquette basically has to survive. He ends up uh, teaming up with this kid and woman, and uh, they have this uh, e this enemy named Cutter who plays who's Sid Hag, and he's a vicious son of a bitch. He kills all the men, he rapes all the women. He's just a barbarian monster. It it's a Mad Max ripoff, but you know, uh, Steve Barquette. He has. Uh, it's funny in the commentary he talks about working on John Milius's first uh, major film, film Dillinger, and he has this kind of uh, you know outlook that John Milius would to have like he you know i stand my ground i am my own person you know he kind of has that mentality and he stars and directs in the movie and uh although he is a unique individual you like his character that he's made and his acting is enjoyable uh there's a decent amount of action especially at the end there's a lot of crazy action the score is wonderful uh there's some cool special effects in here there's some gore in here uh there's some weird uh, narration throughout the entire movie uh and there's a pretty elaborate fight scene at the end uh super ambitious you can't help but like the guy and you can't you can try he put his heart and soul in this damn movie and you can tell and uh he does love himself but he loves his movie and he loves his work and he's gonna do his damnedest to make this a good one and i think it's enjoyable i like it i think it's cool uh I think it's unique uh, for a uh, post-apocalyptic movie. I think that uh, it's genuinely trying to be dramatic, and uh, it does have its exploitative moments, but it's not just exploitation. I think it's a good movie, and I think it's worth checking out. I like the lead. I uh, wish that some of the goons were painted a little better. There's really only two bad guys that are recognizable in the film. There's mutants running around, so that's always cool. And uh, you could tell the filmmakers definitely love like the kind of like the '50s science fiction stuff and and whatnot. So because uh, the, the mask and stuff remind me kind of like something that would be like end up in Planet of the Apes or something like that. But uh, it's a pretty cool movie made in the early '80s, uh, and uh, I would I would recommend checking it out for sure. Uh, there's features on here which are cool. Uh, like I said, a commentary. With Steve Barquette uh, and his son. It's all the stuff from the laser disc ported over, some behind the scenes and stuff, and interviews. I think it's worth checking out, uh, and it looked really good. I know a lot of people were complaining that some of the VCI titles, like Ruby, didn't look great. This one I thought looked damn good, and it sounded good too, so I would give that a recommendation on the aftermath. No boats, no helicopters, no sightseers, no one. 
I found myself a prisoner, trapped on the shoreline by sheer trestles hundreds of feet high. I decided to try and climb my way out. The steep sea cliffs were impossible to escape. So I began to move parallel down the coastline in hopes of finding an easier way to the top. By midday, I came to a small beach clearing. And on it, in the distance, I thought I saw something. I was in the middle of a nightmare, with no way to wake up. Whatever had killed these people, it had done it so quickly that they had hardly been aware they were dying. The next one here, I watched streaming. You know, I have a, a crummy substance DVD, which is kind of a bootleg. So, you know, say what you want. But uh, I watched it on streaming at Amazon Prime. It is a, a VHS rip. It is three on a meat hook. I've always wanted to see three on a meat hook. I was holding out for a good release. Never happened. Uh, so, yeah, this one. I believe it was made in 73. This is the same, uh, you know, made around the same time as Deranged, uh, which both these are based on the story of Ed Gein. This one's a little bit different. Uh, we have this uh, mild-mannered guy who picks up these four girls who their car broke down, and he says, you know, why don't you come back to where I, where I stay, and I'll help you guys out and whatnot. His father is there, their mother is passed, and his father is really unhappy about these these girls coming back and says you know what happened last time you can't be around women so that sets it up that you think this guy has a mommy complex and he's gonna snap the whole movie sets that up not very well you know something's going on but uh what happens to these four women is the goriest craziest part in the whole movie it turns into a slasher movie for about 15 20 minutes and gets really gratuitous uh i thought that was kind of some gnarly stuff and i was thinking why is one of these girls going to survive are these the main girls i, I kind of spoiled some of that but uh, without giving too much more away but yeah, it turns into a slasher movie for a bit. After that, we get the story, this love story for about 30 minutes where uh, our lead guy here is, you know, you realize he seems really gentle, seems really nice, does haunted. He falls in love with this girl. And of course, they make it back to uh, the house with the father. And, uh, you know, they're always eating this strange meat. You know what's going on here. It's called Three on a Meat Hook. It's based on Ed Gein. We all know what's going on here. Uh, the movie's far from perfect, but it has some weird... Uh, entertaining moments when he goes to this bar and they're playing everybody's insane or some weird song like that that's really memorable the opening is vastly memorable the ending's memorable even the ripoff of psycho at the end with the whole speech at the end is such a big ripoff you roll your eyes it's embarrassingly it's embarrassingly a ripoff, a blatant ripoff at the end where the psychiatrist comes out and explains everything like they did in Psycho with uh, Simon Oakley. And, and you're just like, are you kidding me? But is it horrible as uh, people, a lot of people would say? No. It's kind of worth checking out, and it has some interesting elements. I mean, the, the short movie, like an hour and 17 minutes, there's at least 40 minutes of cool stuff in here. I can't really give it a hearty recommendation, but I do think it's a curious, it's interesting. And if you like the story of Ed Gein, I think it's worth checking out. It's not as good as Deranged or The Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Silence of the Lambs or Psycho, but those are masterpieces. Maybe not Deranged, but those other ones are masterpieces. Deranged is solid too. Uh, so, you know, I would check it out, especially if you're interested in the Ed Gein story. It's Amazon Prime. It's streaming. A picture you won't ever forget. 
because it touches the full spectrum of the bizarre, the forbidden, the twilight areas of a life destined to be spent in shadow and agony. The screen may never again relate to this subject matter. It will certainly never again approach this treatment. Oh, you know all about them, huh? You don't even know their names. Now get them out of here. Look, Paul, why don't you just go on to bed or something? I promised to have them out of here first thing in the morning. But I'm not taking them back on that road this time of night. Do they? I don't want to be unreasonable. But you know what happens to you when you get around women. And it must never happen again. <gasps> it ain't gonna happen, Paul. I'm gonna go fix him something to eat, and then I'll show him to the rooms. A child's world robbed of joy by a secret conspiracy of suspicion and fear, dwelling like a lodger in the mine, insinuating its presence into every heartbeat, holding a black light to the dreams of childhood, forcing the will into blind canyons of loneliness and despair, a stolen life, pawned to a godless oblivion. left to mourn, the last witnesses to the execution, suspended in time by a puppeteer with blood on his hands, little broken dolls that go on dancing after the music has stopped. Three on a meat hook. The next one here is Trouble Every Day. I watched this on Shudder. Uh, this one, uh, years ago, I think it was early 2000s, it has Vincent Gallo in it, and it, it was pegged as like a French extreme film. Uh, so I was like, you know what? I'd never seen that one. Uh, you know, when those movies came out, like Inside and Martyrs and Frontiers and I Tension. Everybody was throwing everything from like Belgium or France in that extreme, like new category, even like Calvair and uh, Catcher. Uh, what is it? Uh, cachet and, and it's like I don't know so I, I, I was like I, I don't know if all these fit I watch Trouble every day and I don't think it's that extreme it has two or three moments of horrific brutality but besides that it's it's a very meandering movie it's, it's very morose and slow and kind of boring not really my thing man I'm just being really negative here at least I you know I like the aftermath with Steve Barquet uh, so I'm not being that boring right but uh, we have Vincent Gallo, and he comes to France with his uh, girlfriend, and uh, something's wrong with him. He has these weird med- this medical history, and he's looking for this this guy and this girl. Uh, the woman is actually in Among the Living, I believe. She plays uh, you know uh, the crazy wife in the beginning of that movie, and she turns in a great performance in this movie. Um, he's looking for this woman who's being isolated by her husband who's a doctor. You don't know why she's isolated, but you get the fact that she has some sort of strange disease. It's sexual, it's violent, and it's a a violent sexual disease. Uh, And uh, Vincent Gallo's not right either. He he seems to disengage from his wife, and at first you think he might have brain cancer. He's dying. Something's wrong with him for sure. And as the movie goes on, uh, these two these two people, Vincent Gallo and the the woman who's locked up, get closer and closer. But uh, there's a couple great scenes in here. One with the criminal who breaks into the house, and it's it's a really gratuitous, nasty sex scene, and a really kind of haunting uh, moment. What Vincent Gallo does at the end, with kind of you realize what kind is going on. Uh, those moments are uh, pretty great, pretty strong. 
Uh, and, you know, it does play kind of like an art film, but I don't know if any of the shots are good enough to be considered an art film. And I, you got to remember, watch this on Shutter, and usually Shutter stuff looks good. This didn't look particularly great. I don't think it was HD on there, uh, and I'm not sure if this was shot on digital around the time it could be. So it might just be kind of lost into that phase. If anybody's seen an HD print of this, I, w- I would really like to. I think it would possibly look much more beautiful. Uh, very white looking movie, uh, washed out kind of. Uh, I'm not the hugest fan of it. I think it's solid. I think it's average, and I think it, it, it's actually probably. a a below average movie with two amazing scenes that put it above or at average. I'd really like to see this one again. Maybe I'll pick up some more things, but I think it's worth checking out. And I think that, uh, I need to see it again and maybe discuss with somebody who enjoys the movie, try to talk me into it one way or another, but trouble every day. Uh, I think it's worth checking out, especially if you like French films, but, uh, don't think you're getting another insider martyrs because those movies are one of a kind. Mrs. Brown. Welcome to Paris, Mrs. Brown. I hope you'll enjoy your stay. No, Dr. Simoneau doesn't work here anymore. Look into my eyes. I really need to find him. Just uh, up and left. His wife is sick. Corey's sick? He is very sick. guys for the guest review we're gonna check out time after time uh this has malcolm mcdowell and david warner in it uh and the female actress was very familiar i had to look her up and the only thing i had seen her in was uh back to the future uh part three where she's christopher lloyd's wife and uh, for some reason i've only seen that a couple times years ago on tv and she was very memorable uh the story of time after time always interests me it's got a great concept it follows the famous author hg wells who wrote you know food of the gods uh uh, the time machine uh of course and a slew of other titles basically back in uh, his time he's friends with jack the ripper unknowingly jack the ripper uses his time machine which he actually created to escape into the future so hg wells jumps into uh his time machine it's strange it's convoluted as hell how it works but he ends up chasing him through time in modern day new york so we have a fish out of water situation sounds great right great concept Modern day San Francisco. Modern day San Francisco. So this is it, it's a, it's an amazing concept. And what I was hoping was it was going to be. I, I maybe I should have done my research, but uh, the concept to me was 
uh, is H.G. Wells going to chase Jack the Ripper, played by David Warner, through time? Are we going to see them in the future? Are we going to see them fight, running by dinosaurs? All sorts of nonsense. Uh, we could have gone science fiction world. We could have gone prehistoric world. We could have done World War Two. But instead of getting World War One, instead of getting World War Two, we get this weird, outdated techno color stuff and a bunch of sound beat, uh, sound uh, bites from the news. Uh, it's a cute movie. Um, it's nearly two hours, uh, and most of it is a love story. It's nice to see Malcolm McDowell. During this time, Malcolm McDowell was in a lot of those, uh, he was in the Lindsay Anderson movies, which I'm not too familiar with, but they were kind of crazy. He was also in Caligula, A Clockwork Orange. So he was in, kind of had an extreme run there, and he was in a lot of weird stuff. So it was nice to see him get to play a lighthearted H.G. Wells. And, um, there's a lot of fun to be had, except that it's mostly just a romantic comedy. (laughs) <laughs> which is weird with such a great concept it shouldn't be wasted on just a run-of-the-mill romantic comedy and the fish out of the water stuff goes on for way too long and yeah. it's really repetitive yeah it's um it's really wasted potential like like when i because I, I heard about it um for years i always wanted to watch it and, and i boat. literally thought that it was hg wells chasing jack the ripper through time like oh we're in king arthur time and like oh we're in like you know, like World War Two, yeah. or like, like I thought that'd be really freaking cool. It would be like Waxwork Two, Lost in Time. Yeah, and no, it it was literally like, um, you know, I, I've never seen the Thor movie, the first Thor movie, but somebody always, people always describe it as a romantic comedy, and like in watching this, I'm like, this is probably what the Thor movies like. Well, a fish out of water in a romantic comedy that well, goes on for two Wonder hours. Woman was a fish out of water, and it was fun, and it was also a, a romantic comedy, but it was in World War One. It was exactly. a World War yeah, One it, a ragtag team buddy man on a mission movie romantic comedy, a fish out of water. So I enjoyed that. Uh, this is not a bad movie. Don't get me wrong. No. It's our fault for not paying a damn attention to what it was. Um, as uh, you said when we saw Red uh, Dawn, you said this is like a Republican's wet dream. Yeah. Time after time is a Democrat's wet dream. It's hilarious in the fact that we have this thing going on where H.G. Uh, Wells is a big socialist. He's like pushing, pushing women's rights and everything. And back when he was from, it's it's, it's unfor- unheard of. So and he's talking about in the future there'll be a utopian socialist society <laughs> that is anti-violence. And Anti-violent, and this is probably the best concept in the whole movie because when he goes in the future, he realizes uh, actually it might not be a Democrat's wet dream. It might be the cra- the crushing of a Democrat's right. wet dream. So, because when H.G. <laughs> Wells goes into the future, Jack the Ripper, uh, David Warner loves it because there's violence everywhere. He can get away with murder, literally. And you know, he he was. It, it, so it's great to see David Warner in the movie, and he's not in the same movie here. He's not in the same movie. The murders are fairly graphic for what they are, and uh, I mean, it's kind of surprising because this is really lighthearted and PG. I believe it should be right. It kind of has tone problems. Um... Yeah, because it's, it's, I don't know, what did you call it, slapstick at some points? Like, the way, like, Knock yeah, uh, McDowell runs, yeah. he, you know, he, like, flails around, and I'd say, like, 30% of the movie is just Mocking McDowell kind of running around from point A to point B, and then it cuts to David Warner, who's just slicing people up, and it's not in, it's not too gory, it's like, you know, it's not like... But it's bloody enough. It, it's bloody. It's a very bloody movie I, whenever I, he does anything. He has this little pocket watch, David Warner, that he plays a song every time he kills somebody. And it reminds me of, uh, geez, what's the guy's name from uh, For a Few Dollars More? Every time he's about to have a duel, he pulls it out and it plays. And it's a be- that is beautiful in that movie. It works really well in this one. 
there's some really great things about this movie and there's some really not so great things about this movie and it's it's more so what i wanted out of it so i don't want to say that's like a misleading trailer because i didn't watch the trailer so i don't want to say that but it's just i think it's very wasted potential the blu-ray looks great uh it's from warner archive it's a press disc it looks damn good it sounds damn good uh if you like the movie i'd really recommend it or i would just recommend watching the time machine from the 60s (laughs) the hd wells uh, adaptation instead and uh time bandits with david warner as well yeah time take time, take time machine uh <laughs> and that and like scrooge for your romantic comedy because right. it's on that caliber the lady mary whatever her name is uh she reminds me of somebody that bill murray would fall in love with the movie yeah well, yeah she's definitely a bill murray girlfriend there's um there's a lot of like mcguffins in this movie like oh, they God. always like point to like various aspects of the time machine and the time machine has like three different things to it like like there's like a key a crystal and something else and like None of it ever really makes any sense. They, they go over very briefly in the beginning, and then... It's like uh, Masters Universe. They just have the key. Yeah. The cosmic key. That's it. There's no <laughs> other MacGuffins. This one's like, we got the key, we got the crystal, <laughs> we got the time machine, we got the newspaper. It's like... And it's like, oh, the the cop was really good. He was great, underutilized. Yeah, underutilized. Really, this is a cast of three. I think this movie could have benefited majorly if you throw some character actors in it. Just imagine Mm -hmm. if, like, like L.Q. Jones or somebody like that, just random, anybody, Jim Broadbent, anybody popped up in the frickin' movie. It feels like... There was a Hammer director, like, two editors. Like, one doing a romantic comedy, and then some, like hammer whore guy coming in that wanted to push the boundaries and add gore and every all the hammer movies and they're like that's too far he's like editing his stuff like <laughs> like at one point there's like a severed hand in there and i know it's not like i'm like hyping up somebody's gonna think they're getting into like you know something like uh uh blood-sucking freaks it's not anything tremendously gory it's just totally weird yeah yeah, yeah. um what I say? Oh, I I think that um, Alan Rickman based his whole acting career acting off of David Warner. <laughs> I love David Warner. You know, David Warner is like I know these guys were probably after his career, but it's like Alan Rickman meets Donald Sutherland, and you get David Warner. <laughs> right. And I love all three of those guys. They're mm-hmm. all tremendous. They all feel like each other a little bit. And right. I've always I've always really loved Donald Sutherland and David Warner growing up. They're two of my favorites. But uh, I would say check the movie out. I would give it a six out of ten. Which it's above average because conceptually it's great and it's got two good performances by two actors I enjoy watching. And the lead actress is good as well. But it's also funny because she's this big feminist at the time. So it's like he's like this, he's like for fe- feminist and right. stuff. And then he goes in time and it's like, this is almost too much. But they do some silly shit like where he eats at McDonald's and he's like, I ordered a Scottish restaurant for right. breakfast. <laughs> Mac- McDougal's? Like McDougal's? Yeah. <laughs> it, it still doesn't top the coming to America where uh, James, uh, John. Amos is has a McDonald's ripoff, and like he's always worried about getting sued. So when somebody's like McDonald's, like it's McDonald's. <laughs> I think that's the name of it. But it always put that part always put me in tears. But uh, time after time, I would give it a slight recommendation. Yeah, I I kind of wish I had watched it when I was younger. Yeah, that's a good one. I think I probably would enjoy it more. Um, I mean, I did enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. It's just I think that it's a maybe hour twenty minute story at most, given what it is. And that, um, I feel like the runtime's a bit too long for... Hour and 52 minutes. Yeah, barely anything happening in it. And, like, like before we started the video, I said that, I was talking about it at work, and my coworker's like, isn't that a TV show? And I'm like, I don't 
no, this is like a movie. And so, so she looked it up real quick. She's like, oh, yeah, there was a TV show made last year. It only lasted one season, did terribly. Was it actually the same story? Yes, same story. And it, and it actually stated that it was based off the movie. So I'm curious. I, I, I'm not going to watch a TV I show. I wonder who plays Jack the Ripper. I don't know. I didn't actually look that I wonder who plays H.G. Wells. It, it looked like just two guys. Just two guys. Right, like, right. uh, it's probably like a British show. It might be. Yeah, she's only lasted one season. She only watched one episode. She didn't like it. So I'm curious to see if it's in the same vein or if they actually expanded upon it like I think that they should have or if they actually do chase each other through time. A scientific genius named H.G. Wells stalks a criminal genius named Jack the Ripper across the time itself and the most ingenious thriller of our time. Across one time! One time, just one time. And a bunch of colors, vibrant colors and sound bites. And, and, and he, and like, all this shit keeps happening and like, well, we, we can't, we're kind of too late, we're kind of too late. You got I'll, a time machine. You got a time machine, just go back in time and kill him. Like, like seriously, all I would do is like, well, the time machine's here, I'm just gonna go back 20 minutes before the introduction of the movie and stop Jack the Ripper and... You're, you're done. But then I'm, I don't know how time works in I'm this. I'm good on this one. You? I'm good. I'm good. What would you give it? Five out of ten. Average movie. It's good. Just watch it. Maybe. If you want. The time is 1893. And novelist and inventor H.G. Wells invites you to join him on a flight. From London to San Francisco. In under a minute you will be transported to a bizarre and fantastic new age. Today. Time after time. All right, the next one here was uh, the Pick, Pick a Movie, uh, and it was by John Wilhelm. And John Wilhelm was kind to me. He picked, actually, one of my favorite movies. Uh, this is not... It's. I think it's known... But I don't think it's very popular. It's known because it's a sequel to one of the bigger uh, horror movies of all time. And the original is a vastly popular movie. But this is a sequel to Return of the Living Dead. This is Return of the Living Dead Part 2. This is a bootleg uh, Blu-ray. Um, that is an HD print with the proper soundtrack. And it has all the special features of the DVD on there as well. And it has the original Lorimar opening. So uh, it's a freaking awesome uh, bootleg release. It's an HD with the proper score. It's never been done anywhere. You can get it on Voodoo in HD, but it doesn't have the proper score. Because when they re-released the DVD in America, when they released it, uh, they took out the score and put some Casio keyboard bullshit on there. So I don't watch the DVD. Uh, but saying that, Return of the Living Dead Part 2 is the sequel to Return of the Living Dead, uh, one of the best uh, zombie movies ever. If it weren't for George Romero, obviously this movie, uh, Return of the Living Dead, wouldn't exist. But take Romero out of the equation, I think Return of the Living Dead is the best zombie movie, followed yeah. by Fulci's Zombie. So, uh, Return of the Living Dead Part 2 had a lot to live up to. I think as a kid, I actually saw Part 2 first. Uh, the cover art, to me, was always a very memorable one with the cloud coming up from the thing. I love it with the face in the cloud. It's uh, one of my all-time favorite movies. I'm glad, like I said, John Wilhelm picked it. Uh, yeah, Return of the Living Dead Part 2. We follow the story of, again, the tracks in 2, 3, uh, what is it, 2, 4, 6? Uh, I think it's 2, 4, 6. Uh, falls out of the back of an army truck while a guy is uh, jamming out to a song that always gets stuck in my head. Go, rag, go, rag, go, rag, and he's like, that's what I realized when I put the DVD in that it wasn't because I was going to jam with the guy and then it wasn't the same song. Mm. So I was like, nope, took that DVD out and was very mad. But uh, it falls into this lake or this creek 
and it goes down and ends up in this new like housing development and of course these kids find it they screw with it it gets into the cemetery zombies come the house is the this whole city is you know um quarantined and it's up to a bunch of survivors to try to make it uh what's cool about this is james karen and tom matthews come back and they play similar characters almost like they had been there before they even play a joke mm-hmm. on it and uh the boy for the kid from the blob is in it as well and uh the guy who plays doc mandel is in a bunch of stuff dana ash uh ashbrook is his name what is that guy's name he's in a bunch of stuff as well he's in girlfriend from hell wax work uh sundown vampire and retreat and the guy who plays doc mandel steals the show yeah, the, yeah, the doctor, right? Yeah, he played. Oh, uh, yeah, he played Jerry Seinfeld's father in the in the pilot episode of Seinfeld, but he they replaced him later. I think the replacement was good, but this guy's amazing in it. Um, this movie's stupid compared to the first one. It's not as serious. It's sillier. It's actually really a kids' movie with blood. Yeah, you and know, some language. I had only seen one and three before. I'd never seen part two before, so it it, it does feel it's different. But but it's similar. I mean, it, it is more or less like a, a direct sequel to the first one. Um, it's cheesy. It, it, it's essentially a remake of the first one with kids in it and without nudity and without the punk rock edge that makes the first one so memorable and iconic. Uh, and it doesn't have a str- as strong a characters. Like, I mean, Clue Gulliger in the original Eternal Living Dead and uh, Don Kaffa, along mm-hmm. with James Karen and Tom Matthews and Leanna Quigley are so brilliant, so great. Everybody in that movie, every character. This one has fun characters, and its only crime is it cannot live up to the first movie. I will say that. It's fun. It's stupid. Uh, it doesn't have the horror elements as much as the first one, but it has a lot of great uh, atmosphere. To be honest, I like the cemetery. The zombies look a little cheap in HD, but I don't care. Uh, there's a lot of silly gags. The one zombie gets blown in half, and they actually use an amputee. They have to, the way it right. is. So there's there's nasty little bits of gore. There's a lot of funny moments. This movie actually inspired me a lot more than I realized. It had a huge influence on me, and I didn't notice like until I went to go like make slimy little bastards. And I'm like, man, rewatching this is like, I'm not slimy little bastards. Halloween spookies in my segments. I was like, yeah. There's seeds like this humor. The humor in Return of the Living Dead Part 2, that kiddish, stupid humor, is in Halloween Spookies. Like at the end, um, no more brains. All right, and then the guy says, you win for now. I did. I stole that, and I knew it was from that movie when I did it. I took that, it's like, back to hell for now. That's exactly I did it from it. Halloween yeah. Spookies the end. That was inspired by Return of the Living Dead, or lifted, basically. But uh, it, it's, it's zany, it's silly, and I like the idea that a kid is the lead in it in the in the fighting the zombies because it makes it scary and as you i saw it as a kid so it really instantly relate to it yeah it, i mean it's it's good i like it um the characters are pretty logical um let me think let me think i'm uh, not cutting it i know i know i know why don't you ever cut it oh the hospital scene i, I like the, the stuff that takes place at the hospital Come to the hospital yes who's the president harry s truman which a lot of people will get annoyed by that joke because it's a reused joke from the first one. Like, people would be critical of Airplane or Austin Powers 2 for mm-hmm. reusing the same jokes, but every once in a while you can get away with it. Don't they, um, they, they harken back in the first movie. Oh, the Colonel's in here. Colonel, Glo- the, the, Colonel the, Glover the comes back, too. Yeah, but Colonel's in it, but isn't that the hospital? Like, doesn't somebody, like, pick up, like... You know, in the, in the first movie, there's a scene where, like, the zombie goes into the ambulance. He's like, send more cops or send more Yeah, that's what I just was saying when he says, come to the hospital. Yeah, exactly. That's the reused joke I just said. Right. Yeah, and he says, uh, who's the president? Harry S. Truman. Did he say that in the first one, too? No. 
Oh. That's send more cops, send more paramedics. Got it. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, that's the same joke. Uh, oop. I love Doc Mandel when they take his car. It's a, like a, a brand new car. And they're, they're, the garage door won't open. And they're trying to get it open. All these zombies are coming in. And he's like, oh, well, he's like, and uh, the one guy speeds right through the garage. And he says, I had this car for 30 years. Never got a scratch on it. I love that. And he's always trying to get drunk. Yeah. Oh, in the uh, power plant when he, like, finds the bottle. And yeah. he's, like, deliberating. Like, he has to help his friends who are out there trying to do the stuff. And he's like. Hit the button, but there's that bottle of rum right there. Oh, you man. know what's messed up? <laughs> Night, Dawn, and Day are my favorite horror movie trilogy. My next favorite horror movie trilogy is Return of the Dead 1, 2, and 3. I love all three. Honestly, I it's a guilty pleasure. I love the movie. I know it's not great. I wouldn't even call it a guilty pleasure. I would say it's fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you saw it as an adult, you may not love it. But I saw it young. I always rented it. It had the same kind of wet, uh, rainy feeling to me. And we had a housing development be built around us when I was young. So it just, it felt like real. It felt like it could happen to me. It just felt like it could realistically happen when you're a kid. Although I know now it's complete bullshit. But uh, I just love it. They have some really fun effects, animatronics. And there's one lady who's like, get this damn screwdriver mm-hmm. out of the head. I love that, all that kind of stuff. And the Monster Mash cover yeah. at the end is lovely. Again, think of it. Right. I had the Creature Crunch in Halloween Spookies. That's how much I loved Return of the Dead Part 2. Uh, I, I, I adore this movie, to be honest. And I know it's not perfect. That's why I'm giving it a 9 out of 10. I'd give it a seven out of ten. See, and that's the first watch. It's it, what? What's the problems with it? You think? I don't think there's any real problems aside from the fact that I just really like the first Return the of first the First one's Dead. a ten out of ten. It's a ten out of ten, and it's top top five movies in my list. Maybe. Mine too. Top five favorites of all time in its genre for sure. Um, oh yeah, like I said, if it weren't for Romero, it's the best zombie movie. I still like Poultry Zombie better than Return of the Living Dead. I think I do. Maybe I don't. I don't know. It's Romero's 3, Return of the Living Dead, then Fulci Zombie. Then probably... I only like two of Romero's 3, but we won't go into that. I mean, Dawn's okay. Shut up. Dawn's a masterpiece. They're all masterpieces. It's boring. We won't go into that. We're done. We're talking about Return of the Living Dead 2 before I kill you. (laughs) He's editing this one out. No, it's not. (laughs) But uh, I love Return of the Living Dead Part 2. I'd really Mm -hmm. like to see a stateside Blu-ray or an overseas Blu-ray with the proper soundtrack. Anybody that has the DVD, remember that soundtrack's not right. It's crummy. It's uh, uninspired. It's not good. I'm sorry whoever made it. It's not your fault. It's just I heard this soundtrack a million times like that. Now, original soundtrack's pretty solid. It's a good soundtrack. Not as good as the first Return of the Living Dead, but good enough. They couldn't get the rights to the song? I don't or? know. They just released it on DVD. Maybe they were just like, we don't even want to bother. It's a Warner Brothers, which is unfortunate because now we got one, which was an MGM. Mm-hmm. And we have three, which was a Lionsgate, or it was a Trimark, but Lionsgate put it out. And two, Warner Brothers. Warner Archive, please, please, please. You've been doing such brilliant, lovely work. Uh, you're putting out Leatherface, which is great. And you put out so much cool stuff on Blu-ray. I'm really grateful. But Return of the Dead 2 would be amazing. A deadly experiment. A freak accident. A secret that will be carried to the grave as the horror classic is reborn. Return of the Living Dead. 
part two, Jesse will be the first to know. Billy will be the first to go. Seven of the living against an army of the dead, starved for life. your top three Stephen King adaptations and your top three werewolf movies. What genre haven't you had a chance to do as an actor but would like to? My top three Stephen King adaptations off the top of my head were going to have to be Christine, Graveyard Shift, and uh, Dead Zone or Shining. Can't pick. Uh, Top three werewolf movies. American Werewolf in London. Can't beat that. Dog Soldiers. Soft off the top of my head. Man, it's been so many years since I've seen The Howling. I, I just... I, it's just really hard. I'd, I'd have to think about Silver Bullet. I remember that one fairly well. What genre haven't you had a chance to do as an actor? But would like to very much Western. I want to learn. I could have to learn how to ride a horse though. Love to do a Western before I die. It's probably the only genre I really want to do before I die. What film? Uh, Dan D. What film do you think you own the most released copies of? You know, that's a hard thing to say because I, I tend to if I upgrade and all the features have been ported over, I I put the disc away. So I really don't know. I don't collect like one movie, but I do have a like three releases of last house on dead end street maybe four uh do you collect horror soundtracks on vinyl i do not do not collect any vinyl christopher delier what are your favorite grindhouse movies uh what are your favorite guilty pleasure films guilty pleasure film i like armageddon grew up watching it i know come on don't want to close my come on i i liked it it's just i don't know as a good cast in there at least some of the names i like like will Patton has a good role steve buscemi come on michael uh michael clark duncan what do you want? And uh, favorite Grindhouse movies? Uh, I really like uh, the cannibal movies. Anything with cannibals or zombies from that time. Or, or the rape revenge movies like I Spin on Your Grave. Any of that stuff I enjoy. Any exploitation movies. So I guess any Grindhouse movies would fit into that. What uh, James Grimmer, what's your favorite Sergio Martino movie? Uh, Mountain of the Cannibal God and Big Alligator River. John Wilhelm, if you could recast The Magnificent Seven with actors from any generation, would you? If so, who would they be? Okay, okay, I actually wrote down some names. This is just a random seven that I'm going to throw in there from different generations. Telly Savalas, Lee Marvin, Ernest Borgnine, Warren Oates, Kurt Russell, Ben Johnson, Michael Rooker. We got two guys from Tombstone. We got one, two, three, three guys from The Dirty Dozen. And then we got three guys from the the wild bunch in there as well so uh, a couple crossovers so i think that is a good a good dirty uh magnificent seven right there mike are modern horror movies let's say post 2000 that bad or am i just old there was a time frame where there were some really crappy horror movies and only the good stuff was independent and pretty much only horror movies worth a damn were all independent i don't know when that time frame is i would say like 96 to like 2002 was so bad. I don't remember anything good unless it was independent coming out. There's probably a couple I'm missing, you know. 
But yeah, and I do think they've gotten better in the last five years. I think that we got some like indie treasures, but also uh, on that point, I it's hard. Like when you're living in it, are these movies gonna stand the test of time? The market's so oversaturated with movies now. Are even the the good ones or the ones that deserve to be masterpieces even gonna be remembered? Are nostalgist or nostalgia? That's a tough word. Are they just gonna shoot down anything that's new, even if it's a masterpiece? Like. Just because it's not what they grew up with. It, it's so hard to tell, you know? Because I love the old movies, and when I see new movies, I don't have the same fondness of them. I just can't. It's impossible. I just, I like how old movies look myself. So I understand where you're coming from. I really do. Like, I'll watch something like The Aftermath and enjoy it. And it's just, oh, it's a three out of five star movie. But then I'll see The Witch, and uh, I it's a, it's a masterpiece. It's like a five out of, it's like, this is a great movie or, or something like it comes at night, man. This is a well-made damn great movie. That's making me evoke feelings, but I'll go back and I'll rewatch, you know, dead alive for a hundred time. It's just, it's so weird. It's so hard to determine quality versus nostalgia versus, you know, the right place at the right time. Uh, and what will, what will live up to what it was, you know, it's just, it's, it's a tough question. Hopefully I answered it. Probably not. But, uh, thank you very much guys for everything. And, uh, you guys have a good one as always. Severn Films. This is Threads. Yeah, this just got released at the end of uh, January, I think it is. Yeah, Threads is a crazy, crazy movie. I had heard quite a bit about it, uh, but I had never seen it. It always, uh, I remember them talking about it. Uh, Elric Kane talked about it. I heard about it before that, too, seeing it on bootlegs and wondering what it was. Elric Kane had said that it always made this list of the greatest horror movies ever, and he had never seen it, so that interested him. Uh, yeah, Threads. Um, only Severn would have the guts to release this type of movie. It involves nuclear war. This is made in 84. Uh, and it, it's part, it's, it's a very unique film. Um, I actually did write a review over at the Screaming Toilet page. I think that will probably justify it more than my ramblings coming on uh, here. But um, it is part uh, kind of like documentary style with uh, documentary narration and part fictional narrative. Uh, and it, it's so personal with these characters. It's basically a Shetfield, England, and uh, it's during the Cold War, which, you know, and, and it's starting to boil up to the point where America and Russia are at each other's throats. And Shetfield, England's right in the middle here. And uh, everyone's paranoid. Everyone's terrified. It's one of the most bleak portrayals of possible nuclear war ever. And, of course, nuclear war does happen, and it shows uh, the before, the during, and the after. And some of the images in here are are, are more horrific than most horror movies. I, I couldn't believe how bleak it actually got. It's not necessarily a horror movie, but it's a post-apocalyptic movie, and it's done realistically. And with those touches of uh, narration and documentary style, it feels real. And with those touches of like personal narrative and storyline with these characters, it feels like you're stuck in a documentary about real people, and it feels all personal, and it just feels too damn real for comfort. Uh, it, it looks so gloomy and so depressing, and 
and and some of the images in this film kind of stick with you. There's a moment uh, where this pregnant woman, after the nuclear blast, she fe- she seemingly gives up. It feels like, and she wanders out into like the radioactive fallout, the radioactive fallout, and she's going by, and each person she sees, each one looks worse and worse and worse. And there's she comes by this lady who's holding what appears to be a baby or a baby doll. You don't really know, and that's just like a scene that nightmares are made out of. It. She's just staring and staring in oblivion. And there's awful scenes of people who get the radioactive, you know get sick afterwards and it's just a very very tough movie to watch and uh it it asks a lot of questions about nuclear war and uh more importantly it asks you know what's worth living after this are are they even human and uh it shows into the future what the people will become and sentence fragments and speaking in sentence fragments it's just a a really great uh release and uh, i'm I'm really happy sever did that uh released it and it's funny because they released killing of america at a time when there was a lot of shootings and you know everybody knows how violent america can be and it's just like it, it, it puts focus on these issues that, man, you know, maybe we are <laughs> with nuclear war and everything coming up. But uh, I'm going to look at the back. Uh, there is an audio commentary with the director, Mick Jackson. That one's really cool. Uh, David Gregory actually does the uh, the narration on there with him. Well, talks to him with it on there. There's a, a interview with the lead actress who uh, is pretty candid about the experience and talks about it. Uh, they talk about the director of photography, which is really cool. Uh, destructions well with the uh, production designer and he does such a good job you don't even know their production designs half of them are like tore up buildings and of course Stephen Thrower's on the disc as well uh, doing his best talking about threads uh, in interesting uh, ways but uh, threads would really recommend it also check out the written review I think I did a fairly decent job and uh, I hope you guys enjoy it Attack warning, you and your family must take cover at once. This time, they are playing with, at best, the destruction of life as we know it, and at worst, total annihilation. You cannot win a nuclear war! Is it for real? Attack warning's for bloody real! Is it? what it does to things, to, to buildings, to, to cities, it's what it does to society, what it does to people, what it does psychologically. I, mean, I still have people saying to me, oh, you know, I never slept after seeing threads, or it was the worst thing I ever saw in my life, I was so terrified. It's one of those moments in time where you get to throw a bunch of people together and this incredible creative force comes out of it because it's the right time in these people's lives and the meaningfulness of the story that we're trying to create, something extraordinary happens. And we were a generation that grew up half expecting nuclear annihilation. We're again living in a world where uh, nuclear confrontation is on the cards again. If anything, a more alarming world now because as bad as Ronald Reagan was, as bad as Yuri Andropov was, one never got the sense that they were certifiably insane. The next one by Severin. Uh, 
If anybody knows me, they know I love Italian films, Italian horror films, uh, exploitation films, uh, crime films, giallos. But one of my all-time favorite genres is the cannibal genre. And again, Severn Films delivers the goods with eating a freaking live. Yes, the uh, second in the Umberto Lenzi cannibal trilogy. And also, uh, I believe the uh, the... Second, that Robert Kerman of the he appeared in the Cannibal films. Robert Kerman's in this, and one of three that Ivan Rasimov appeared in the Cannibal movies, and one of three Mimi Lay appeared in. So it's just like the uh, like the trilogy Cannibal movie. It's like has a bunch of people that were all part of three Cannibal films in this one, eaten alive. Uh, it, it follows the kind of general story, like all good Cannibal movies. It starts out in a civilized world. This time in Canada in the very beginning, which got a chuckle out of me because it's usually New York, New York. It quickly goes to New York, but uh, we have this, um, this, this, uh, this, uh, what you would appear to be like the typical like native uh, from New Guinea. Well, he's not necessarily cannibal, but this guy from New Guinea. And uh, he shoots these poison darts at people, and you realize it all comes back to this, uh, the actress Janet Argan, who was in City of the Living Dead, and uh, so something was on this guy uh, for, of his sister. So that leads her into the jungles to try to find her sister. She meets up with Robert Kerman, who's like a, uh, you know, a mercenary or a Vietnam deserter, and Robert Kerman from Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox and Night of the Creeps ends up helping her through the jungle. What they run into is violent crocodiles, of course cannibals, and... A crazy Jim Jones style cult led by Ivan Rasimov. It's so obvious. His name is Jonas. It's not trying to hide. It's not trying to be subtle. It's right in your face. This is Jim Jones and his cult in a jungle. Uh, this kind of element is new to the cannibal genre, and I think it's pretty cool. It's a nice addition. It adds in a lot of stuff, you know, like that that um, the, the cult mentality, which I love in here. Uh, this one is exploitation to the T. There is gratuitous nudity everywhere. There is gratuitous rape scenes all over the place, um, and of course course there's horrible real life animal killings and a lot of it too and what's weird about uh, eating alive is they actually take clips from jungle holocaust and mountain of the cannibal god which is funny it's funny that to take these clips from this movie because there was kind of this ongoing feud with uh, Ruggiero Diodato who did Cannibal Holocaust, Jungle Holocaust, Cut and Run, and Umberto Lenze who did uh, Cannibal Ferox, Eaten Alive, and Man from Deep River. And uh, in the special features it goes over this, but I, I always knew it due to the book The Eaten Alive by Italian Cannibals and Zombies book and other things and other sources. But uh, Ruggiero Diodato was considered, you know, the king of the genre, but Lenze always said, you never created it. I created Man from Deep River. And then you got the gig because I turned down Jungle Holocaust. You did that. Then you did Cannibal Holocaust. Then I came back and did Eat Live and Cannibal Ferox to, you know, kind of combat that. But, uh, you know, Cannibal Holocaust stands at the top of this uh, exploitation jungle violence heap. And uh, for good reason. It's a masterpiece. And uh, it's fun to see in the, you know, the interviews on here. You can tell that they have this, uh, there's stuff with Reggio Diodato because there's a Mimi Lay documentary on here, which is phenomenal, which is great. And there's stuff, of course, with Umberto Lenzi because he directed this movie. You can see that there's definitely something going back between them and all the, the special features on here. But uh, they did shoot some new interviews on here. I, I think the Umberto Lenzi interview from Freakorama is newer. It's got to be towards the end of his life. Maybe it's an older one. Uh, we have one with the uh, production designer who worked on all of these Italian classics. That one's new. Uh, we have a new documentary Mimi Lay, which is phenomenal. It's like an hour and 20 minutes. Talks about all the movies she was in. Man from Deep River, Jungle Holocaust, Eaten Alive. And uh, we have some old ported over stuff from the Shriek Show disc with Ivan Rossimo and Robert Kerman. Uh, it, it's a wonderful release. It looks probably better than I've ever seen it. Uh, the music's by Buddy Magdaloni, and you will recognize some of that music because it's uh, a lot of the same stuff used in Cannibal Ferox a year later. Um, 
yeah, I, I know this is not good for me. I know it's bad for me. I know it is exploitation. Umberto Lenzi even admits in the features, he hates these movies. He especially hates Ferox, but he hates these movies. They're not good. He doesn't like them. I enjoy them. I like the survival. I like the jungle aspects. I like uh, that they just basically have to go against all these crazy things and man versus jungle, man versus man. Uh, and then every once in a while, they'll try to paint some weird, you know, moral message that usually is littered with garbage. And you're like, you're going to try to paint me a moral message after all that bullshit you put me through but uh eating alive it's vastly enjoyable cannibal film if you can get past the real extreme animal violence then i, I would recommend checking it out it's one of the top gross ones I, i'm sure it made the video nasty list along with all the other ones but uh this is one of the most brutal ones after uh, you know holocaust and ferox and jungle holocaust this probably sits at the number four spot for just ridiculous gratuitous stuff in here and uh i do think it's it's pretty funny and there's like such exploitative stuff in here like they reuse they reused they use footage from jungle holocaust which is Rosario Diodato's movie uh, because it had a scene with Mei Mei Lei where it's a horrifically uh, violent death scene, and they reused the death scene. That's how cheap it is at times, but also, you know, it it's also seems really big and extravagant because it's in the jungle and there's helicopters and whatnot. But uh, really great performance by Ivan Rasmo. I always love seeing uh, Robert Kerman and Mimi Lei and all those people. So uh, Mel Ferrer is in this, too. I don't know how they got him, but they did. But uh, Eaten Alive, a great release for uh, uh, a movie that I think's great. <laughs> E loro chiamarono Ruggero Deodato, quindi quando Ruggero Deodato dice di essere lui il coso non è vero, lui è... Un set molto deciso. Nothing appealed to me particularly about the cannibal genre, it's just that the cannibal genre came up. It was uh, very easy for me. This next one is fairly interesting of a release and a movie. It is uh, from Arrow Academy. It is uh, Henrik, uh, what is it, George Clizot's Inferno. Yeah, and this is an odd, odd title, and this is an odd film, and uh, how it got made is really bizarre. Uh, Criteau, uh I'm saying his name wrong, he was an infamous, uh, you know, famous French director, one of the powerful people. He had a lot of, you know, pull, and uh, he wanted to make this movie Inferno. He wanted to make it a masterpiece, he, and uh, of course, you know, this is a movie that shows what happens when you get overly zealous and you get con control, con very, very controlling, uh, and you lose a movie. Uh, this is basically the exposed film. Well, they could find the, the film of it, the daily shoots, two weeks of an 18-week shoot of a movie that was canceled. But, uh, you know, it, it's infamous for what happened on the set. The story is actually probably bigger than the actual movie. And uh, 
it's it's famous for having beautiful images looking like some people would uh you know like bright colors and the movie would be shot in black and white and then uh these visions of you know torment from the lead would be in color uh it basically follows the story the movie the, that it's based on follows the story of a man who thinks his wife's cheating and he becomes obsessed he goes crazy and uh what we have here is uh actual documentary uh you know focusing on that movie and reenactments and whatnot so it's kind of like a real movie documentary style thing interviews it's all over the place but uh they have that going on for it, it it's very unique and, and then on top of that the special features even have a documentary about it so it's almost like you're watching two uh feature-length documentaries uh i actually prefer the documentary straight documentary over the re- reenactments in here but it is interesting movie and uh the stuff that he was trying to pull off with lighting and uh with uh camera techniques was amazing having car go down in a train actual train driving in the background and he's like oh like we can never get it and the stuff he put the actors through and the crew through makes you want to strangle them. It's a very interesting uh, look at what happens, you know, and uh, with a director gets too much power and when he has, you know, he, he's obsessed and goes nuts, you know, and it also shows maybe at a point like why these directors stopped getting so much power while the Hollywood system took over and then we get a lot of carbon copy crap. But uh, like I said, there's a 30-minute documentary on here. Uh, as for the other features, uh, there's an interview with the guy who uh, actually got this released and got this made. Uh, so it's a nice release of a unique story and uh, you know, it's not something I'm super familiar with the director's work, but I think it was pretty cool to watch and learn from it about filmmaking in general, especially from that time frame. le cinéma de l'époque, c'était un grand, un des très grands du cinéma, un des sénateurs en scène français qui pouvait euh, drainer des, des acteurs et aussi les capitaux qu'il voulait pour faire ce qu'il voulait. L'enfer pour Clouseau, c'était la volonté de faire un autre type de cinéma. Le film raconte l'histoire. The next, uh, we have two streaming ones, one from Amazon Prime, and where's the other one? Other oh, Shutter. The first one is uh, Ballad of Blood. This is like made in 2007 by Ruggiero Diodato. And I didn't even really know about it. I saw it on Amazon Prime. I was like, 2007? Ruggiero Diodato? What's going on? So I started watching it. And this is the weirdest damn thing I've seen in a long time. Ruggiero Diodato, you guys know, did his uh, Jungle Adventure movies... Cannibal Holocaust, which I mentioned previously, Jungle Holocaust, Cut and Run, and uh, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, what is it? Body Count, a House on the Edge of the Park, Live Like a Cop, Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man, Waves of Lust, uh, Raiders of Atlantis. Ruggiero Diodato is one of my favorite Italian directors out there. Uh, so I was excited to see a newer film from him. This movie is bizarre. I don't know how to put it. it it's, it's a train wreck, is what I'll say. It's a train wreck. I'm not trying to be a jerk here. But it's a movie where there's a lot of foreign or Italian actors and actresses speaking in English, and uh, the dialogue is really weird. And what really hurts this movie is the writing and the acting, for the most part. Uh, it doesn't look like it's incompetently shot or really made. It just is a bizarre movie. What we have here is this Halloween party opening. It looks like chaotic, tons of nudity, tons of sleaze, tons of sex. And uh, these three people wake up, and uh, they're all violent sociopaths or psychopaths. I... And they're very unlikable, very crazy, and uh, so there's a dead body. No one knows how the dead body got uh, there, and they try to figure it out. Uh, what follows is a series of uh, watching old videos of the person who's dead, um, going around selling drugs, uh, 
killing people for almost no reason to cover up a crime that you may or may not have committed. By the end of the movie, the reveal, you don't really care, you don't know. They're all such monsters that you're not surprised any of these people would sink to this level to do anything. Uh, the, some of the dialogue is absolutely priceless in its, in, in its hilarity. The best actor in the movie is uh, one of the leads, uh, males, and uh, he's an African-American gentleman. And an American, I'm pretty sure, as uh, far as acting goes. And uh, he does his best with the dialogue he has, but the dialogue he has doesn't feel like anybody would say it. Most of his dialogue is, fuck, or get the fuck out of my way, and it's just like, oh man. Uh, there's some nice, interesting, zany characters that I think could have worked if the script was a little bit better. Uh, there's these two that run this uh, bar, and uh, they're kind of fun. Uh, this little short man and this really effeminate uh, other guy who's always there with angel wings. Uh, there's a fair amount of blood. There's a gratuitous amount of nudity. It's just a ridiculous movie with painful dialogue and not well-thought-out story, to be honest. Like Things like this girl says, I'm check, I'm check, and then her mom calls, and she's like, hey, how you doing? a complete midwestern mother it's like i don't know what's going on here i don't know that's not explained uh i guess you could say well maybe she's adopted and it's just like if i have to think that much about it it's not worth thinking about um in this kind of context, in this kind of movie. But uh, it's just nonsense. If you want to see something that is uh, bizarre, possibly funny, uh, train wreck to people, I don't like saying this, because Rashiro has made some of the best movies ever, and they even use a song from uh, House on the Edge of the Park in here, which I adore. Uh, and House on the Edge of the Park and Cannibal Holocaust are two of my all-time favorite movies, no doubt. Um, and I, I'm pretty fond of almost all his movies I've seen, but this one is just a train wreck, and I think it's mostly due to writing and acting. And... Uh, just a weird story. I think maybe some better actors could have pulled this off. Um, Ruggiero does have a cameo, so there's always that to look for. Uh, but uh, I can't recommend this unless you're looking for some laughs with some people. It's just too weird. And I don't really like laughing at movies anyways like that. You know, it's just... Ooh, it's got a lot of problems. Go! What the fuck? What happened to your friend? We're friends, right? There's blood everywhere. The next one is uh, I watched on Shudder. It is Nina Forever. I'd wanted to see this one forever actually. But uh, I was happy to see it on Shudder. So I started watching this one. This this plot is a bizarre one. We have this uh, guy who's been wrecked after his girlfriend died. And uh, he starts dating this other girl. And what happens is the first time they're about to have sex, uh, Nina crawls out of the bed, Hellraiser style, covered in blood. But uh, she's, she uh, starts to talk to them and she just won't stop coming back every time they have sex. The bed gets bloody, the sheets get bloody, everything gets bloody. They try everything in their, you know, their, their power to make sure Nina doesn't come back anymore. Uh, and it's a very strange uh, character study in a lot of ways because the main girl has uh, some weird psychological things going on and she's a very unique, different person. And she has unique uh, 
desires. Uh, the lead guy also has this thing going on with Nina's parents where he like, you know, can't like say goodbye to Nina and he's always going over the parents' house and they're kind of being each other's crutches. Uh, the best performances in the movies are definitely the parents. They're, they're phenomenal and they're unique and they're interesting and they're the best part of the movie if you ask me. There's a dinner scene with uh, the new girlfriend and the boyfriend and the parents and it's really awkward and really great but uh, I love the performances from the parents. I think they do a really good job. Uh, besides that, I think the movie should have been a 30 minute short but it goes on for an hour and a half and it feels like it wears out its welcome. I feel, you know, like it, at points it's zany, at points it's it's kind of cute almost in its gratuitous gross way, but uh, it just gets a little tad, uh, you know, uh, meandering and I, you want it to end. You want it to be over. Um, the ending's kind of cool. Uh, you expect something to happen, but it necessarily doesn't. Uh, I would say give it a spin, and if you like what you're seeing, finish it up. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, I think the concept's pretty cool. I think it's unique and different, and uh, I just wish it would have been a little shorter, maybe trim some of the fat. Uh, and I think that I wish there was subtitles. There was no subtitles, and uh, Nina, the corpse, kind of uh, has a raspy voice and a thick accent. And It's an English film, and a thick accent and a raspy voice, it's hard to understand what she's saying. But if you want to check it out, I would uh, check out the trailer and see if you'll like this kind of thing. The blood looks excellent. Uh, and uh, a great performance from Nina, actually. I think the acting's solid all around, but she does great, and the parents are tremendous as well, but that's on Shutter. She was in a car accident like a year ago before we worked here. I'd love it if my boyfriend tried to kill himself because I died. Has anyone ever told you you were a really weird little girl? You're dead. That doesn't mean we're gonna break though, does it? Body one here is the pick of the week by matt godfrey it is be my cat a film for Anne. and i had heard about this one people were saying are you going to see that review that one are you going to check it out man this disc looks real weird yeah i bought it on amazon and then i know realized it's no longer available to buy you can stream it but uh oh boy Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. What do I say about this film? Be My Cat, a film for Anne. I'm going to start off by comparing it to other movies, to be honest. And I only do this rarely. And it's this, this, it's this one kind of group of movies. Like, similar to, like, characters from The Greasy Strangler or Cat Sick Blues or Chocolate Strawberry Vanilla or Bag Boy Lover Boy. It, it feels like a character from that. Uh, we have this guy from uh, Romania. This is a first Romanian movie I think I've seen that I can recall. Uh, and he's obsessed with Anne Hathaway. 
And what he wants to do is a found footage movie. I guess you'd call it a found footage movie. He wants to make a movie for Anne Hathaway to prove that he is such a good director and so dedicated an actor in it that she will come and be in a movie with him. What he does is he hires these indie actresses from uh, you know around the country to come be in his movie. And uh, right off the bat, this guy is awkward. This guy is different. He is unique. He is creepy and scary. And it, it starts to be kind of awkward and funny at first. But as it progresses, you realize there's something much dark, darker and sinister. And this guy is, is terrifying. And, and it is terrifying. It, and it builds to the point where, you know, when these things are going to happen, it gets scary. The only weak part about this movie for me is the third act. I think that it goes on a little too long and it loses a little bit of the scene. But besides that, I think the movie's pretty excellent for what it is. Uh, it, it's a portrayal of a, a, a sociopath, a crazy person. Uh, and it's a good one, and he seems realistic, and he seems terrifying, and only the director could have acted in this because he knew exactly what he wanted. But this this is one of those performances where I watch it and say, man, I don't want to meet that guy because I think he's actually like that. And that's probably the best compliment you can give to somebody if they're not actually like that. This guy is this. He really feels like this. And he is so bizarre and so unique and just terrifying at the same time. And I, I actually really like the actresses he brings in. I feel bad for him. And at times they, he gets on their nerves. And at times he seems like kind of quirky and almost funny. And uh, and he just has this weird song he always sings. I would really recommend checking this one out if you can. It goes to show that you can have two goddamn dollars and still make a good movie. And still, you know, it's not as shaky as you would think either. It is a found footage movie, but it's not like uh, jittery. I mean, you can hear the wind in the camera sometimes, but it just fits. Everything works with it. You can. It shows that you don't need money to make a scary movie or a decent movie. Uh, you just need, uh, you know, a dedicated uh, actor, kind of like how he was dedicated in this. And uh, there's just some awkward, bizarre moments where he stops and he's like, "I am. Am I the character or am I me? I am the character. I am the character." He, were, I would love him to meet Mark Duplass in the Creep movies and uh, they have, them have some interactions. But uh, yeah, it's a weird release, a weird movie, and I would really recommend checking it out if you're a found footage fan, which I am not really. I don't really like these. I actually realize I love found footage movies unless they're ghost or possession movies, and then I'm out. Not my thing. But uh, as far as like Cannibal Holocaust and this movie, I really enjoyed. But uh, yeah, such a unique movie, and I'd really give it a thumbs up. I was happy with it. I don't know if it'll have much replay value, but it is damn damn crazy and and if you like movies about crazy people i would it's, it's a good one hello Anne. um my name is adrian i'm from romania and i want to make a movie with you i saw you in dark night rises and i saw you playing that cat woman and you're you're my actress i even convinced uh, three romanian actresses to play in this film to show you how I'm gonna work with you on Be My Cat, on the movie that I want to make with you. They don't know, they, I, 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 I lied to them. The actress needs to be skinny. And I'm not skinny enough for you. No. How can you say that I could have tried when the start, oh, <laughs> the, the something got, I, I forgot the lyrics. It's not possible. Oh my God, fuck, you're, you're, you're a shit actress, you know that? So no. Because I can't run, you, you talk about you, me. You, do not, you don't want to find a solution. If you don't leave me, I call the police. And your goddamn movie will not ever be made, okay? Don't like boys and dogs, they are, they are all bullies. Mean people, mean, mean, mean people and mean animals. I like only girls. The girls are, are so sweet and cute, just like cats. I, I, love, I love girls and cats. Oh my god, a dead cat. 
You have 20 seconds to give me one last word and then I will close the camera. I will change the world with you and Nick, how do you feel about magical zombie movies like Wes Craven's The Serpent in the Rainbow? Uh, I enjoy that kind of stuff. I mean, uh, haven't we seen a million zombie movies where it's just a plague or a virus? We need to see more crypt zombies, voodoo zombies, uh, toxic zombies, more different kinds of zombies, and I think people will like zombies better. Some crypt zombies would be cool, like, you know, from, like, Zombie or Tombs of the Blind Dead or any of that stuff, or Cemetery of Terror. I want to see some crypt zombies. Uh, but I would, I do like the supernatural zombie movies, and Serpent in the Rainbow is a pretty unique movie. Uh, also, he asks, have ever had any awkward, bizarre, frightening fan encounters? I don't know if I even really have fans. Uh, I'm sure I've had awkward encounters with people, but uh, I've never had any frightening encounters. Brian Nielsen, has anyone in your adult life ever had a problem with your interest in movies, horror especially, that they demanded you give up? I'm not looking for uh, details, just general thoughts and feelings. No, not as an adult. I mean, as a kid, people would always think that as a little kid, I was obsessed with zombies and horror movies and stuff. They were always thought I was going to be like this mad slasher or something like that or somebody crazy. And uh, the funny thing is a lot of the people that I know now or that uh, thought I was going to be crazy are, are not even I'm more well-adjusted than them. So I don't know what that tells you. Uh, as an adult life, not really. I'm sure maybe some people were like, man, you spend too much money on movies. And I was like, really? I don't know about that, but that's probably about where it came from. I could see that hurting in the future where it's like, you need to save for this or this. And it's like, you need to save for a surgery or something. And it's like, hey, I just spent a hundred dollars on movies. You know, that could be a problem, I guess, more so than just being uh, into horror or anything like that. But uh, never had that problem. I, you know, I don't think I'd try to make those things work. If somebody had that big of a problem with something that you enjoyed and it wasn't hurting anyone, I don't see why you would spend time trying to, you know, be with them. John Wilhelm, how much CGI is too much CGI in a movie? I just watched Cute Little Buggers, and the CGI just ruined that movie. You know what? Uh, if the movie is doing such a good job, I don't even notice bad CGI. Every once in a while, you can't help but notice. But sometimes you can get away with bad CGI if the movie's great. Uh, or, you know, ambitious anyways. But I'll give you an example. Uh, Dark Was the Night, was that the one with Kevin Duran? Is that the guy's name? That movie was pretty good until the very end, and the CGI came out, and it was just the worst, laziest, crappiest CGI I've ever seen, and that ruined the movie. It hurt it bad. It went from like a four to like a two out of five stars. It hurt it bad. It was that bad. And uh, really bad CGI can ruin a movie. Uh, I, I put on this movie, uh, I was watching on Amazon Prime, skimming through, I thought Things 4. I was like, oh, that's on there, cool. The CGI in that movie is just unacceptable. Like, that's unacceptable. Like, it's so bad that I don't even think you're trying. That's how bad it was. Uh, James Grimmer, do you ever watch horror-hosted shows such as Elvira and Creature Features when you were younger? If so, what are some things you remember about them? If not, could you ever see yourself getting into them since Five Ghoulie and Lord Blood Ra are easily accessible? Uh, yeah, I used to watch uh, Monster Vision occasionally. I remember staying up late with uh, my friend Joe Genovese. We were like, we're gonna. He's got. He's the first time like fifth grade or some fourth fifth grade. I was like, stay the night. We'll watch Monster Vision. You know, I didn't always watch it, but Ghoulies one and two are gonna be on. I was like, we gotta check them out. And uh, we got to the first Ghoulies, and we both... I was like, Ghoulies 2's better, Ghoulies 2's better, and we fell asleep during it. Yep, 
that's what we remember from that. But I used to watch the Elvira thriller tapes all the time. I love those. And I remember my grandfather was like, you know why he's watching them to my mom. He's like, because she wants to see them big tatas. My grandpa always had that like kind of perverted old man sense of humor, which is funny. But uh, yeah, he was talking about Elvira's boobs. And I remember that. Always remember that because he said tatas and it made me laugh. <laughs> 